Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Tiny Tina's Wonderland, a game that was developed by Gearbox Software, published by 2K, and was released in 2022 on Windows, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, and the Xbox Series S slash X. Uh, but first, if you give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. So, Tiny Tina's Wonderland, I have come home to roost <laughs> at long last. Uh, this is a <laughs> a uh, loot-based, lightly RPG-themed, uh, mechanically, heavily thematically RPG-themed, uh, first-person shooter game, and is a spin-off to the wildly popular Borderlands franchise. Um, and on occasion, we like to give a little bit of a history uh, when we lead into games that we have a history with. Yeah, it's relevant on this one. Yeah, and especially because, like, I mean, if you ever wondered, the reason we do that is because like, it kind of highlights some of the the ways that we approach the games yeah, gives context. Yeah, if you're totally new to a, a series, when you go when you go to talk about it on here, you're gonna have a lot of different takeaways than somebody who's been playing it for a long time. And I've been playing Borderlands for a long ass time, uh, and <laughs> I had a big break before this game came out, and I hadn't played it in a while. Um, and I got to experience a lot of Borderlands in the last couple of weeks. Uh, in a way that I didn't anticipate and gave me a lot to chew on. Um, so I've played Borderlands 1 more than most games, if I'm being perfectly honest. I've played the first Borderlands for like a huge amount of time, uh, right when it came out. Uh, me and several friends played together, uh, which I think is kind of the way that th these games are designed to be played, but we can get into that on a more objective level. But subjectively, I love the shit out of the first Borderlands. Um, when, when the second game came out, I hated it. I thought that most of the characters were unfun and the game wasn't a good one. Uh, and then their first DLC pack released and introduced a melee-based character, and I loved it. And I played through it, and mechanically, Borderlands 2 is still probably my favorite one. Uh, and then I played, like, one hour of the pre-sequel... I don't know what happened there, but I just said, fuck this game, <laughs> didn't continue with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't even realize Borderlands 3 came out until like a year after it came out. <laughs> uh, so why then, that I hear you ask through the sound waves, uh, <laughs> with you, if you have all of this experience and so much history with the previous Borderlands games, did we choose to play this game over the other ones? Uh, I mean, I, I can't really answer that one. Um, I have comparatively played no Borderlands. <laughs> um, it's one of those games. I think it, ca it came out in like 2010 where I did not have like a computer, like a Windows computer to play it on. Um, it's kind of something like Team Fortress. It just kind of came out in a time where I, it just wasn't... <laughs> like accessible to me mm -hmm. so i just didn't play it even though my friends played the crap out of it yeah and also 2010 chad yeah what played borderlands one and team fortress two those were the only games yeah. that i played and i played time. none of either of those games yeah <laughs> um so 
uh, yeah, these ones just kind of like passed me by. Uh, I think I was like aware. I was definitely aware of them, but just never played them. Um, and then when we started doing this podcast, I think I put Borderlands like one or two on the list. Yeah. Um, and we just never really did them for one reason or another. And then recently, like this game had came out and you were like, why not this one? Because it's new. Yeah. Yeah. So my answer to the question is definitely... I want to do this game because I want to play it. That's pretty much what it was. I hadn't played a Borderlands game in a long-ass time. This one was new. I had heard good things about it from people that I am close to uh, and was like, might as well do the new one. And if I can shoehorn it into a podcast, I won't feel guilty about it. Um, But it also led me down a a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) Gearbox Studios... uh, do software, whatever their full title is. It's Gearbox. software, but every time I hear it, it sounds wrong. Like, I feel like it should be studios. Yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I I was only aware of them prior to the first uh, Borderlands game because they did the, uh, the weird expansions to Half-Life. And in that sort of realm... Uh, <laughs> they to me felt like a very like PC heavy like hobbyist style developer, which is not fair because they also ported the original Half Life games to consoles. They were the team that did that, uh, and so they definitely existed. But to me, Borderlands, especially with it feeling so much like a Diablo type game, like a loot based run get bunch of stuff game. It felt like a very, like, PC-oriented game, and one that appealed to people who were heavily PC game players. Like, the people who were into the hobby enough that they were playing more in-depth and obscure games. Uh, But Borderlands was not that. It was a huge, massive success, uh, and took off. And Borderlands 1, to finally talk about the game that we're actually talking about... Mm -hmm. but. is so different than what Borderlands is now. There's been a massive evolution and a push toward a lot more of this, like, rambunctious silliness that Borderlands as a brand is. Borderlands 1 was, like, a cool game. Hmm. It was pitched as Diablo meets Mad Max, and you don't take anything away from that other than sounds cool. (laughs) also first-person shooters. Also, it's a first-person shooter. Yeah. Uh... And it's like, it's a game that opened with a Cage the Elephant song, and so it had this, like, twangy guitar while people drove a van through the desert, and you're like, oh, this is fucking rockin', I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that shit sold me on it. Like, I was in the boat. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has more of, like, a mass appeal than something like a Half-Life, like, on its face. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Because, yeah, it has that kind of style. Yeah, it feels like Mad Max, but, like, if it was, like, a 90s comic book. You know, it just, like, it's something, like, it's a weird comparison to make, but almost something like um, Xenoclash. Okay, You kind of, like, see the aesthetic, and you're just like, this is just, like, a really weird, unique-looking thing. Like, it definitely kind of hooks you with its, like, attitude or whatever. Yeah, Wasteland Chic or some such. Waste punk. <laughs> Waste punk. That's pretty good. Because I would have described it as sort of like 
kind of steampunky, but it really isn't. They're just sort of regular robots in, in this world. <laughs> like, it's a mm-hmm. different sort of thing. But Wonderlands is distinctly different. The tie, the close tie to make is uh, this is a spinoff of the franchise, but also a spinoff of specifically one of the DLC packs for Borderlands 2. The Assault on Dragon Keep, I think it was called. That was also like a D&D themed mm-hmm. expansion where Tiny Tina ran the game. And a lot, a lot, a lot of this game comes from not just that DLC, but Borderlands 2 generally. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a, it was, it was a big smash hit. And Mm. so like people really liked that expansion. So it, it made some amount of sense when it was announced Mm. because otherwise you kind of look at it and you go, okay, like, I guess they were watching stranger (laughs) things. Like they're part of the big D and D revival Mm. now. Yeah, as somebody who didn't know that, I, I it, it did get like a kind of a big reveal. I feel like at like some a press conference event thing. Yeah. Um, and it, I thought it seemed like a cool idea, like to do like a fantasy offshoot. Like I thought Wonderlands feels like a thing that makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh, that's kind of clever. So yeah, I don't know. I think it like it, it works as a concept. Yeah, I, I think it does too, especially if you look at it in like the like eighties slasher movie trajectory. Like Borderlands had its own identity when it came out and did a couple of games in it, and then uh it went to space. Mm-hmm. Uh the pre sequel set on the moon of Pandora, I believe. On a moon at least. Mm-hmm. Uh and then now we're going into fantasy. Like they're they're doing a little bit of genre hopping to try and keep things fresh, um, but I don't know. I'm gonna say up front mm-hmm. that I played a little bit of Borderlands Two before coming into the podcast. Uh, I need I wanted to refresh myself on the series a little bit, and I haven't played Borderlands Two in you know since it came out essentially. So put a I'm, I did the pin in that thing for uh, a long time on the inscription episode. So do something else with this. Put it under a blanket and be ready just for push it to the side. Yeah, and within be, arm's length. <laughs> be ready for Borderlands Two to rear its ugly head a couple of times during discussions mm-hmm. of this. But I think we should start off with the obvious shit. This is a gun shoot game, uh, and for a long time in my life. Gun game, first person shooters, mm-hmm. platformers were the were games. Those were the two kinds of games, <laughs> uh, and those were all I played <laughs> for like probably ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I felt right at home mm-hmm. uh, with this game, though I do have some complaints with the mechanics. Uh, how did you, as somebody who's basically only played prestige shooters, uh huh. What, how does this one fall in the hierarchy? Because it's going up against, like, fucking Bioshock, mm-hmm. Halo, <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> like, you have the top yeah, of the I mean, top. I've also played Time Splitters. That's also true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, m- my catalog is growing, but I still feel like a kid a little bit playing shooters. Like, I have this page of notes right here. None of them are about the mechanics of the game. <laughs> That's fair. Because I sat down, because I wanted to get your perspective on this, because I sat down to, like, think about it, and I'm like, I gotta have, like, something to say about the mechanics, right? And it's just like, I'm just thinking, I'm like, 
yeah, like I have like no concept of like what mechanically makes for like a good encounter in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, like I have some thoughts on like the guns and stuff, which we will get into, but it's like a lot more specific. Um, and I was just, yeah, thinking generally, like it's why I made the comparison to like being a kid. Cause I felt like the whole game just kind of felt like this like flat level of quality <laughs> and I was just playing through it, you know, mm. like a kid might do. Uh, so I don't really have like nuanced thoughts on that. But I do like the variety of weapons. Um, there's, I well, at least I, I didn't play around too much uh, above level 40 and don't know how many, like, legendary weird weapons there are. Yeah. But I feel like the variety's a little bit less than it seems at first, but still, like, a level that I liked. Um, and I enjoyed, like, finding a new gun that I hadn't found before and, like, in, like you know, and like finding which ones I liked and like learning my preferences as I went along. Yeah, yeah. This game has, and all of the Borderlands games have about six weapon classes. I think it's pistol, SMG, assault rifle, rocket launcher, sniper rifle, and another one, <laughs> shotguns. Yeah, uh, that's just such an assumed one that I just forgot that I hadn't counted it yet. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and they do broadly fall into different sort of things i think one of the things that the original borderlands games did better than this game did as far as the actual gunplay goes and not even the play just the gun having in in those (laughs) games uh was you were probably i like specifically bit my tongue Mm -hmm. so as not to inform you of this prior to me being able to ask you this question because i think it proves my point really well Uh were you aware that each gun has a manufacturer and that that manufacturer actually dictates what the gun does. Uh, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I knew that specifically, Mm -hmm. but like, it it does feel like it has like a, like a Splatoon thing to it. Like I, I did notice that there were like visually, I guess. So props to the designers. Like when I saw a gun, I was pretty sure I knew like how it was going to function. Yeah. I didn't I can't say that I noticed that they had brand names. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a much bigger thing in the previous games. Mm-hmm. Not like uh, you did mention it I think offhand. I like, probably like did. mentioned like uh the gun that you were you, you were using was made by a certain character or something. Yeah, I was I was explaining that Mr. Torg actually has a history in the game mm-hmm. and he is the owner of one of the the gun manufacturers and they're the ones that all shoot bullets that explode. Mm. Uh, and that was like a huge, like the ones that like you throw them to reload them. Those are the TDR guns. And there's the ones with the crystals in them. Malawan. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I picked up on it like in a visual design way. Yeah. Which is good. That is good that they were able to sort of indicate it that way, but it was very explicit in the earlier games and it made it clear when you were building for a play style, what mm. guns you actually wanted to get. Um, and this game has a similar problem to every other game in the franchise and that having a fast firing weapon with an element on it is almost always just going to be better than having a gun with no element. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. I think that I may have run into a few exceptions to that rule, but for the most part, like most of the damage that I dealt was done with like, oh, it's a something that has a fire rate of like eight shots a second and applies frost damage. It's like it's a little strong. <laughs> yeah, like in an early game quest, you get 
uh, gun that's called like the Goblin Melter or something <laughs> as the quest, the quest reward. Yeah, and yeah, it fires super fast and it does like acid damage or corrosive damage or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh my god, this is so much better than any other gun <laughs> I've had, and like I used it forever. Yep. Uh, until it was like unfeasible to do so anymore. Uh, yeah, so I, I found that to be the case too. The ones that I would find that I liked the most fired fast and usually like did frost damage or something or fire damage or whatever. Yep. And that is to me sort of encapsulates the one thing that I don't like about Borderlands as a shooter. Um, and that is basically there are two kinds of shooters and the kind that I mostly like are ones where things feel very impactful. Uh, there's a lot of hit stun and like, there's a big reward for playing with a very strong weapon that has an accuracy requirement from mm. the player. And there are games like Borderlands where every enemy has a big health pool and you just shoot at them. And if your gun has a higher number value, their health goes down, but they mostly just run at you regardless of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I find this kind of game like just inherently less satisfying to play, and the parts of this game I like have to make up for that right. a lot. So when you say you don't have a lot of notes on the actual mechanics, mm-hmm. me neither, really. <laughs> I think this game plays incredibly similarly to older Borderlands, and if you have an experience with it, you're going to understand what this game is. It's, yeah. it's a game that focuses a lot more on its skills and the numbers game part of it mm-hmm. and less on the like you like the satisfaction of firing a revolver, you know? Yeah, I do feel like it had like pretty solid gun feel though. The guns it doesn't have, like, super, themselves. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have super realistic gun feel, but, like, the gun feel it has, I thought, was pretty good. Yeah, I think the sound design is super good and the animations, and they obviously spend a lot of time making those models look mm-hmm. intricate. Like, they're all very fancy yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. one way or another. And like, they all have different, like, reload animations and stuff. Mm-hmm. I sprinkle those crystals. Yeah. Well, that's the most satisfying one to have a fast reload speed mm-hmm. like that animation he's just like oh, like, he's like, like when the... he does it like really fast like he's like emerald legacy or whatever mm-hmm. you he's know? kicking it up and yeah like that's yeah very satisfying when he does it fast because it's usually like really slow <laughs> and then you get like two shots like at the end of the game i was i got unlocked the ability to uh, the unlock the ability to enchant weapons yeah and i enchanted like one of the crystal guns and it like made it it like up to the reload time or whatever and um and i think maybe added like an extra like laser to it or something like something really good and then like i remember using it, i was like this feels like a different weapon like this is so much better <laughs> yep and uh, yeah uh and that to me is see here's here's where i'm at to me that is the core of a borderland Mm, and I didn't get it till the end. Yeah, it's like that the customization aspect and the endless pursuit for better and better things. But I don't want to spend the whole first half of the podcast talking about shit that you've nothing to say on. Uh-huh. So let's come back to that in a different timeline. Sure. And let's veer off a bit. Is there something you have that is at least gun related? <laughs> Um, I mean, I not that's, like, off of the track that we were kind of already going on. Um, Fair enough. 
But yeah, like I don't disagree. Like um, I'm a lot less like focused on like the stat increases and stuff like like you are. But like I do agree. Like the fun is the different abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost kind of like uh, like trick weapons in Bloodborne or something. Like you have like a bunch of weapons that do different things and they're fun to like mess with. Mm. Um, like I've I've kind of found that like I'm not the biggest fan of the Diablo style like loot kind of system. Uh, I don't really like having to, like, every time I get a thing, compare it to the things I have, you know? Yeah. Uh, It just gets kind of, like, tiring to me after a while. So, like, part of me wishes it just kind of had, like, cool guns, and you didn't have to, like, like like a regular shooter, like something like Time Splitters, and you didn't have to worry about the stats. Um, But, like, I I feel like that is a huge draw for some people, because people love Diablo. Um, So... Yeah, I don't know. I, I Some kind of variation where, like, that stuff was de-emphasized a little more, I think I'd like better. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. Um, I think there's, like, there's a saturation point, right? Yeah, you get, you get way too much shit over the course of the game. <laughs> yeah, the biggest it, problem is that the, this game only has, like, ten different kinds of equipment that I can give you as a reward. And so the whole world is just littered with guns. Like, you will see 50,000 guns by the time you're done playing this game. Yeah, and you'll sell, like, 85% of them without equipping them at all or anything. Yep. Yeah, that's a big thing. I did notice, because you are sort of new, you're new, brand new to this franchise. Yeah. Uh, like, there's a lot of stuff that you sort of shorthand eventually, where you you look at it and you go, no. Nope. So oh yeah, I spent way more time looking at, at what the items on the ground were. Yeah. yeah, and in shops and stuff, like all the stuff. You're like, eh. it, when you play these games for enough time, eventually you just like you say, if this isn't the second coming of Christ <laughs> in the form of an assault rifle, yeah, I will not even give it the time of day. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was doing that kind of, but still felt like there. I was probably like overlooking stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just always had that little that little feeling, like maybe that was really good, and I just threw it away. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, and I, you, I'm sure I've thrown away a good share of of good shit mm-hmm. uh, in my time playing these games. But in the end, like you said, like you don't you say you don't notice the statistical differences all that much. Uh, and I get outraged and say, fuck you, my 1% additional melee swing speed is going to make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it don't. <laughs> uh, so you can throw away good shit and usually it won't matter that much in the long run. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel like especially um, in this, like, I don't think, like, getting, like, it's weird. It It's a lot of AAA games are like this isn't, like, specifically a criticism of this game, but, like, they kind of straddle a line. Or it's like this to me while playing it, it feels more like a first person shooter that has RPG elements in it. And it's just, it's hard to get that like balance right. Cause like you wanna kinda just play it like it's a shooter, but then you have to consider like the RPG element too. Right. And it's not always like the most like smooth experience. Like it can lead to some like 
like kind of we were talking about um this kind of stuff on the last pocket episode like the balance of like story to like movement focused gameplay mm-hmm. and like in this game it's like it's fun to like run around you know playing co-op like shooting sharks and whatever <laughs> with your friend and then they, you you do that and you're like oh i have to go to the vending machine and spend like 20 minutes selling everything <laughs> and like the other person might just be standing around mm-hmm. you know it doesn't lead to like the best like gameplay flow yeah, I think because like, oh, I have to level up, and we're in the middle of a quest, you know, and I have to like stop, and you have to wait or go on by yourself and mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah, there's like a couple of different, I think, angles of of approach here. I think our biggest problem, and if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be seeing this sort of like in action. Yeah, um, is that I had beaten the game. Uh, I am. A disgusting pervert who just loves to spend every waking moment of their life uh, playing a loot game. <laughs> you sicken me. Uh, and part of that life that I lead meant that I beat this game a solid week before you did. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I'll use this opportunity to mention uh, we, because the, we're talking about a game, something we rarely do, mm-hmm. that came out in 2022. I should mention this podcast is not going to cover the DLC mm. uh, because even though this game came out four months ago, there's already three DLC levels <laughs> released. Uh, I did buy them because I finished the game a week before Andy did, uh, (laughs) despite somebody telling me specifically not to. Uh, So let me be that person for you. Don't buy them. They're bad. They don't offer anything, more or less, and the end result of beating them is just continuing to do the regular game, end game, which we'll get into, but isn't the best one. Mm -hmm. Closing the book on that discussion. Uh, I'd been in the game already before we, uh, start, before you got to the point that we were playing together. Mm-hmm. And I think that compounds the issue because there wasn't that simultaneous discovery mm. where we were both like, oh, we got this and that. And like, we trade weapons or like, right. talk about what weapons were good at our level. I was just... 14 levels higher than you yeah. when we started. And so every time that you went to a vending machine, I tried to find a funny place to crouch yeah. repeatedly. It was like... <laughs> like, I'm not bothered by it because yeah. I, I just like playing the game with my friends. But I can see it gets kind of... It gets dull and tedious and it's worse for both parties. Like, I wasn't engaging when you were doing the loot stuff. Mm-hmm. And you weren't being engaged with... Which also detracts, right? It's and like it makes you feel bad, right? Like you're just (laughs) like, ah, I could be off shooting more sharks, right? Our favorite thing to do now, Mm -hmm. or we could be finding twenty sided die, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Or I could stand here and look at numbers, Mm -hmm. and it's it's the less appealing option. I agree. Yeah. yeah, I remember playing the older games, like, with people, like, starting the game, going start to finish. You do, like, oh, fuck, you got a, you got a Jacob's shield that has, like, fucking 60% max health increase. Like, I need that because my build is HP-based or something, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. It, it's it's fun to do with people. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't play this when, I mean, obviously, I mean... I didn't play Borderlands when it came out, mm-hmm. but I feel like the Borderlands 
like the first two games were like more unique for their time. So I can imagine like just like playing something like that co-op. Like I don't know, I just feel like it would have been like more novel and fun at the time. It's like it stands out more now when there's like more options. Um not necessarily for like full campaign co-op, that's still pretty rare. Yeah. Um but like just there's just more options for like games that like you know, like shooters to play with your friends, you know, or like weird like uh like indie game or like there's just other stuff you have a lot more options right that can scratch a similar itch now yeah and i agree with that as well i think that does sort of take away from it i will say i know because this game i think borderlands was unique when it came out or at least it was to me uh one of the big selling points of the game was it was like contains 10.6 billion guns or something and it was like an ex- a mathematic extrapolation of their procedural generation algorithm uh which is a whole list of words that you would never see on the back of a video game box mm-hmm. uh but basically it was saying like we have a a randomization system that works in a really intricate way and Nowadays, I don't know how impressive the system is anymore. At the time, I think it genuinely was kind of a, a technical feat. Yeah, it, it's something that didn't even like register to me as something to be impressed by, like it, it at all. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, I played, I've played roguelikes at yeah, this I'll point. Yeah, procedurally like... generated guns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you hear about all the all the grains of sand you'd yeah. have to pick Did up? You... Have you heard 18 quintillion planets that uh, Hello Games has? You can blast rocks until the day you die in that game. Uh, uh, But yeah, I don't know. It's still a cool system, I think, because it produces... I think... I don't know if this is still the way it works, but in the original Borderlands, the shtick was the guns had parts, and each part had a different statistical thing associated with it, Mm. and so it would assemble the guns... It would be like a stock and a scope and a this and a that and then this body and then this brand and all of those things added together and then it would poop out the numbers that you saw like in level was so you could get an identical gun theoretically mm-hmm. that was a level one gun and a level 30 gun and they would be statistically different but look the same. Right. But so you got visual and effect variety all the time. And I think they still use a similar system now, and I think that it does still make you intrigued when you see a cool gun. Yeah. And you say, what does this do? Yeah, I definitely got a better version of the Goblin Melter at some point. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> there, there are you can get, like, just better versions of old things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there is just a lot of, like, slight variations on a thing you've had before. <laughs> Which are all themselves only slight variations on the major weapon types right. and their subtypes. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of pieces there. Yeah. Like the, the crystal Literally shotguns. Literally and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> uh, that you mentioned before. I hated those. Yeah, I didn't really... They usually had good stats, or at least all the ones I found did. Yeah. Um. So that's why I used them. But like, they weren't usually that great, and I switched off of them before too long. But that one I got at the very end of the game, like, it was, it was amazing. It was fucking really good, <laughs> and yeah. I, and I used it for five seconds <laughs> before I got that awesome shotgun that rained light arrows. That is definitely the better one. <laughs> I don't know if this is the time to talk about it, but the legendary weapons have always been very cool. 
uh, in the Borderlands games. But, like, a lot of the stuff, I just wish there were more things that were truly unique in function. Mm-hmm. Like, there, I picked up a lot of things that were, like, had a funny quote in the flavor text. And then when I shot it, it shot bullets. And those bullets hit things and dealt damage to them. And, like... There was obviously even more of that in Borderlands 1, but they would, like, try and juice it up a bit. Like, I know there was a shotgun whose spread pattern was a smiley face. And it's trash. It's a bad gun because mm-hmm. the spread pattern is terrible uh, for using. But mm-hmm. it sticks in my mind because it's so weird and, and, like, off the wall. Yeah, it does feel like it lends itself to that kind of stuff. Like, basically, like, Junkrat from Overwatch <laughs> would feel right at home. Like some, Or, like, even... um. What's his name with the hook? Roadhog. Roadhog as well. Yeah. yeah. Like something like a big hook to pull someone over and then just blast them with a shotgun <laughs> mm-hmm. is feels right at home in Borderlands. And made it into Doom Eternal. Didn't make it into yeah. Borderlands somehow. Uh, yeah. Like at the very end of the game, like of my time playing, I got that cool shotgun and that just a fish that was oh, a yeah. sword. Mm-hmm. And I was like... It, those did have more impact because I hadn't found anything like that till that point. I was like, a, like, thought it was really cool. There were things that that felt that much different mm-hmm. than anything else I'd found. Uh, but yeah, it does. It it does feel like it's it's a very silly game. It doesn't take itself seriously, and it just seems like the kind of game that would like revel in that kind of stuff. And it does feel like kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity. There is more of it. Yeah. It'd be nice if they sprinkled that more in, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. earlier in the game, too. Yeah, pace pace it out. Yeah. Because even a lot of the unique weapons you get from quests aren't super wacky. They're no, mostly just no. statistically strong. But it does say a lot, though, that, like, I remember the Goblin Melter so well. Yeah. Like, you it's know, true. just like, it's a little, I think a little bit even would go a long way. <laughs> a little bit of Goblin Flesh would get melted away. Yeah. Are we, is this a beat poet? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the game doesn't take itself very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would... <laughs> this is where Borderlands 2 is going to uh, rear its ugly head again uh, in a minute. Uh, so I made a gag, a little a big joke uh-huh. on uh, the Solar Ash episode about how I don't hate jokes. And then I said, well, stick around for this month where I hate jokes. Borderlands is not that funny. (laughs) And I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that the game doesn't suit my personal taste in humor. But I have an image in my head. This is where this game... Because actually... Well, we we'll get back to some stuff mechanically later. Mm. I really enjoyed playing this game. I had fun with it. I don't think I'm really going to go back for much, but I may dick around with it a little bit more, but unlikely. I have a strong sense memory of playing these games as as a younger adult who thought that they were funny. <laughs> And I went back to Borderlands 2, and as it turns out, doesn't hold up. 
in fact, ages quite badly in the grand scheme of things. I didn't go back to Borderlands 1 because it is my precious baby, and I refuse to find out how horrible it is. Uh, but, man, I was surprised at how how little the characters and everything worked in a way that made me actively like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm assuming that the tone was similar to this. Yes. In the, okay. So, to me, it, it like, I feel like it just is a particular type of humor that feels really rooted in a specific time. Um, and yeah, and I mean, the humor already doesn't age well. Yeah. It's just like a thing. A lot of people don't find older comedies funny. Um, you know, it's just like a, the natural way of comedy. <laughs> it's one of the laws of comedy. It is one of the laws uh, of comedy. Comedy famous for having many laws. Yeah. Anyway. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. Comedy plus, plus time, time equals, equals tragedy. tragedy. It works perfectly. Ooh. Is any, uh, if no one's ever said that before. Well, you know, anything <laughs> plus time equals a joke somebody's already made. Sure, so I'm sure. sure it's out there. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> Yeah, if it, it it feels like it, it slots right in there at the time period of like something like Time Splitters, um, only like we were able to play that though, like because it's from that time and it felt kind of charming because it's like we can look back and be like, oh, we were so naive, <laughs> you know. Well, um, and it has like it itself has a sort of sense of naivete, right? Yeah, like it, Time it, Splitters it feels off, quaint. It, yeah, it pulls it off better, but it's it's really kind of in the same neighborhood. I agree. I just think that actually, you know, the thing you're going to say, I think, probably explains it better. Uh huh. Which is that this is new, and that's a problem. yeah, yeah. It, it stands out like a sore thumb <laughs> in this. I don't know about Borderlands one and two, but. Yeah, definitely less so. Yeah, and like, or like, also something like the Tony Hawk games was the other thing I was going to bring up. They have like a really weird juvenile sense of humor that also feels like it's right from that same time. Like, if there was, you told me there was somebody fucking a goat in Borderlands One and Two, I would believe you. One hundred percent is also without context. Like, if you had like, you ask somebody which of these games. Does, is there a running Easter egg of a guy fucking a goat? <laughs> and it was a Board- skateboarding game. Yeah. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Borderlands, or uh, Time Splitters. Like, it really would fit into any of the three. Mm. You'd be like, all three of them probably. Just like that guy that. fits into that goat. Yes. Uh, as far as I can remember, <laughs> Borderlands 1 had two jokes in it. Uh, it was the character Claptrap, uh, who is still in this game. Uh-huh. I would like to pick your brain about Claptrap in sure. a second. And Shooty McShoot Face, or whatever his name was, there was a quest that you picked up from a guy who just stood there yelling, shoot me in the face, please shoot me in the face, mm. that said, shoot him in the face. You did it, the quest cleared, and it was over. And I think that also, I mean, it's not a hilarious joke, mm-hmm. but it works well enough in the moment if yeah. you don't expect it. Yeah, that, I think that's funny. Yeah. the And then Borderlands 2, which is a lot of people's favorite Borderlands game, mm-hmm. is just wall-to-wall jokes. And I think that it works, this is going to sound strange, because it's one of the things that put me off of Borderlands 2 when I played it originally. And then when I played Tiny Tina... 
Joe's Wonderland, this game, mm-hmm. I felt like the fact that it was wall-to-wall jokes actually helped it a bit, because the ones that landed stood out a lot more to me. And in Borderlands 2, there's an entire class of enemy who shows up in almost every level that it has a name that is currently considered a slur by most people, which is a, mm, a bit of a problem mm-hmm. for your enjoyment of a game. Uh, <laughs> among other things that I just don't think aged well overall. Um, but then you take it and you extrapolate it and say, we made a spinoff based on a DLC to this game, and you end up with this game that's released 10 years after the original game mm-hmm. that contains Butt Stallion, a horse made of diamond that is a character in the game queen butt stallion queen butt stallion a major character who's not a queen in borderlands 2 but is in it like Mm -hmm. borderlands 2 originated butt stallion with the villain handsome jack Mm -hmm. had it as a horse uh here we are we've we've taken we've now transplanted the jokes Mm -hmm. by necessity from 2012 10 years into the future and everything that doesn't age well is now just rotting and put out on display. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't have the, like once again, yeah, have not played borderlands too. Mm-hmm. So, but like, I feel like the actual like context or setup for this does help it. Like for sure. Like the fact that it's like teen, Tina's 13 years old. Mm-hmm. She's the dungeon master of the game. And, like, she, everything is, like, kind of filtered through her lens. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the characters are the characters from the previous games. Right. Uh, just showing up, which makes sense, uh, <laughs> given the context. And then, like, they do some clever things with it where, like, there was, like, a part early on where you go into, like, the forest level and there's... It's, like, described as being, like, a unique or interesting forest or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Valentine comments on how it's just a regular forest. And she's like, ah, well, it's actually covered in mushrooms or whatever. <laughs> and then it just changes right in front of your eyes. Yeah. But like, stuff like that was kind of cool. And, like, I, I just felt like the premise was, like, actually a pretty good one. Um, but it's just, it just all over the place. Yeah. No, I actually completely agree with that. I think... There's a lot of things that have used RPGs as a backdrop, especially recently. I mentioned earlier there's kind of a renaissance going on. Um, and I a lot of them use it thematically for different things, but this using it explicitly and putting you within a game itself, I think they do use the premise well in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. A lot of the best jokes are based around that. Yeah, like, even the fact that, and this might be giving them too much credit, but like... <laughs> Even the fact that, like, you use guns and stuff makes sense because Tina's a person who's grown up in the post-apocalypse mm. and, like, it has, like, a warped view of, like, what, like, fantasy tropes even are. Yeah. Yeah, it's strange because, like, you look at the... And, like, they use the vending... They even call out the vending machines and she's like, that's just what she knows. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, like, that's how it works in the game. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, you know that the game... The this is like a classic too many layers of like meta content stacked on top of each other. Yep. Where the game will break the fourth wall occasionally and refer to the actual real world, and then also the game refers to 
the game that exists inside of the yeah, game. Yeah, like the game breaks its own fourth wall. Yeah. <laughs> and then breaks our fourth wall it as break, well. There's not a wall standing. <laughs> and so, like, you know that Bunkers and Badasses, mm-hmm. the... Which, man, I have not heard anyone describe anything as badass mm. in since I played Borderlands 2. <laughs> and it was a real, like... Almost refreshing hit of the early noughties. Mm-hmm. Just being like, mmm, that the word badass being used regularly is is more like the teens, probably, mm-hmm. is when that was really popular. Uh, strange. Anyway, Bunkers and Badass is the game in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, has to have, theoretically, because characters are aware of it outside of Tina. She did not invent the game. Mm-hmm. Some rule set that includes fantasy stuff, and they call it out in the game. They're like, there's guns in this game? And she's like, it's my game. Mm -hmm. I'm the bunker master, therefore everything is a gun. And it is. It's like, I can't tell where I should start finding it absurd, because it started so far down the road. Yeah, and it, it, it does revel in it too it, mm-hmm. it points yeah like it's i think it does a good job handling it like a fair amount of the time but then like other times it's just like bad or like it doesn't <laughs> know what to do with it or like it's just yeah like i said it's all over the place it's like a weird cocktail of tone mm-hmm. yeah it's especially weird when you look at the few pieces of like what you would describe as like serious writing in the game um the this is a weird thing to say. I think the Pinocchio quest is one of them. Mm. Uh, there's also a quest about like a ghost looking for his like lost lover's voice, and these are quests that are that take place over like usually fairly like medium length periods mm-hmm. with basically no jokes in them. Um, yeah, because it's mostly gameplay. Yeah, it's like gameplay, very little speaking, and when there is speaking, it's actually fairly dramatic and doesn't it isn't just like hitting you with jokes all the time and they feel just wildly out of place in here like i find it difficult to say whether i find them to actually be good writing or is it in comparison yeah where you're like do i hate this because (laughs) it is breaking up the weird wacky tone do i love this because it's done well or am i just mindlessly pressing the R1 button. Like, there's, like, many different mindsets you can go into each of them with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a... It's um, it's like a... It's whiplash. It's hard to deal with. Yeah. And they just do it all the time. <laughs> it's a serious quest. <laughs> totally wacky thing. Thing that exists to push the story forward. And then, like... uh. A nothing, a nonsense. They tell you to go do something that makes no sense from any perspective, and you just go do it. Yeah, you make some kind of Evil Dead joke, uh-huh. or you know, yeah. some kind of reference to the fact that you're playing D and D or whatever, mm-hmm. or Bonkers and Badasses. Yeah, D and D, D and I wanted to mention. I mentioned this to you. I just want to say it. Uh-huh. They use the fucking uh, Klato Barada Nikto joke from Army of Darkness. Twice in this game, and then also I played about, I think like four, five hours of Borderlands 2, had already heard the same joke made in that game. They 
love that joke for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. There's a bunch of nerds. I mean, that is demonstrably <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, I feel like we could keep going on and on about this for a while. For sure. Uh, but do we want to kind of break it, break this, this part of the discussion uh, in half and kind of kind of pick up where we're, where we're leaving off here but going a little bit of a different uh, trajectory with it after, after the, the break, break. Uh, yeah I can do that welcome back so I guess before the break, we were talking at length about the presentation, uh, which to me is like the big thing about this game that really stands out about, you know, it really embodies it. Yeah. So we will continue doing that, like bringing it up, I'm sure. Um, but one, I wanted to kind of pivot to talking about the voice acting. Yeah. Uh, because I was surprised. <laughs> Uh, like how prevalent it was. Um, like they, we've got like a core group of main characters who are voiced by what Ashley Birch is Tiny Tina. Yes. Playing the most uh, uh, Tara Strong character <laughs> that isn't voiced by Tara Strong of all time. I have to imagine, like especially going back to Borderlands 2 and seeing the introduction of Tiny Tina, uh-huh. that that was the elevator pitch. Yeah, like, they were like, we wanna, can we get Tara Strong? Um, well, <laughs> she's doing three other cartoons right yeah. now. <laughs> but they were like, what is Tara Strong's character in a post-apocalyptic piece of Yeah, media? what's like Harley Quinn as a child? Yeah, and that's sort of what they came up with. And I think it's a good idea. I yeah. just think that they went with a, with a distinctly early 2010s take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's her. Yeah. Uh, then you have... Uh, what's Andy Samberg as like the dopey himbo knight? Yes, and you have the weirdest one in my opinion, Wanda Sykes as a robot. Yeah, also just with her regular voice. Yep, just Wanda Sykes. Uh, and uh, you also have Will Arnett as the bad guy, mm-hmm. which I think works really well. I agree, but I think that the Wanda Sykes cast is fucking. Uh, Oscar worthy. Oh, I mean, it's, I don't dislike it. Yeah. I just think it's so weird. <laughs> it, it's strange. She is by far, by a huge margin, the best part of this game for me. Mm-hmm. I think that she fucking slayed uh, every single delivery that she gave. Yeah. Uh, and I was very, like, medium on most of the dialogue in the game. But I thought that, like, she just, she lived that role for, for me. I don't know why. Yeah. It did, I think it stood out as so weird to me because, like, it's just her regular voice and her voice is very distinct. And I've never heard, I'm sure she's done other voice acting, but I've never heard her do it. So it's just, it, the, the robot that was sitting there is just her. It's just it was very weird. Um, and uh, I feel like, and I was probably thinking about it too much because it struck me so hard. But, like, I feel like her voice has, like, a quality to it, where if you put even just, like, a little bit of a robot distortion on it, mm-hmm. like, take GLaDOS and, like, dial it back, it would sound like a really great robot voice. <laughs> like, I think her voice has a quality to it that would, like, lend itself to a robot character really well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, if you want to do it in, like, a serious sci-fi thing. Right. Um, as it is, it's very funny. Like, if it's... It, I think they... It's one of the... And I hope they 
cast her because I thought it would be a funny choice. Because if they did, then it's like the funniest intentional thing they did in the game. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I I think that Wanda Sykes as Fret is yeah. That's the, that's the name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is on the level of. Billy Crystal as Calcifer for me, mm-hmm. where it was something that I wasn't expecting, instantaneously realized who it was. Yeah. And then just was along for the ride for the rest of it. Yeah, I it, find it impossible to discern Andy Samberg from his voice. Like, I, did, I heard his voice and just didn't... It had no fucking idea who it was. Yeah, same, same. Uh, I don't know if it's because he's doing a little bit of a voice, or if his voice is just the generic white guy voice. It kind of is. Because I never would have placed it either. Yeah. Also, I just don't think I've been exposed to that much Samberg media. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, he was on SNL. Yeah. He was in... For a while. Didn't he... He did the digital shorts that were songs right yeah i don't know if he was was he in those or did he just like produce those oh i don't know was he in the narnia one i don't i'm the wrong person to be i guess (laughs) i think that is him and i think this could be exactly why i didn't pick up on it is because he's a guy i'm aware of but have not followed his career that's fair i mean i haven't really either but (laughs) yeah i i would have thought that i would recognize his voice but apparently not yeah um and so and then there's so I think Will Arnett's really good as the the villain, mm-hmm. um, and I I, I I originally found Will Arnett to be a very like unlikable guy, <laughs> but he's really won me over mm. in recent years. Like he's really good on on Murderville, which is a show on Netflix, not sponsored. No, um, that would be wild. But it's like an improv. <laughs> we show. made it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, check out Netflix. Balloons pop, confetti falls. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just an improv show. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I've what else do I like him as? Uh, I felt like I had Batman. another man. No, I had another example of something I liked him in. Maybe it was just this. I don't know. I just think he worked really well as like a like er, he, like a villain in a, a story that's like not very serious like this like if you cast if you remake like dogma i don't know what this is what came to mind okay and you cast him as the demon character oh the one that jason lee plays yeah like i feel like he would really work in that kind of role i don't know how to describe that kind of role so i'm making this comparison yeah i can kind of see that i think (laughs) like a fun villain but that's still a villain i don't know yeah like he does play especially like when you get to near the end of the game and there's this, <laughs> I don't want to give too much credit to this game story because it is not. I like what they do with this the character. Yeah. It's I... actually really clever for a game based on like D&D as a concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like a classic D&D situation where like a player character becomes the, as they refer to it in the community, the BBEG, the big bad evil guy. Mm-hmm. Uh and this is like a, a story of that, but I also like that he exerts some amount of control over the game environment, and I also like that they leave it pretty ambiguous as to how much of it is real, quote unquote. Like, is something Martina that Tina wrote? Yeah, or that the character is the character like actually sort of given a a kind of conscience, a sentience, uh, or is this? 
did Tina write an extremely meta campaign for you? <laughs> like, those are the two options given in the game. And the one that makes sense is that everyone in Borderlands is a little bit crazy. And so Tina would just write a story about how a character she used to play became a bad guy and was taking over her game and argues with herself about it. It's like a schizophrenia thing. Yeah. Or it really is happening. Both of which are very viable because this is a video It's like some kind of AI that was in the bunker that they're (laughs) playing in or something. Mm Mm-hmm. All of which I think is... I think it works. I think it works pretty well. I think it could have been served better by going deeper down either path. Yeah, it's like if this was actually like a serious narrative, it would have been like a good uh, like plot device and would have been nice to see like fleshed out more. Uh-huh. As it is in this game, it's just really surprising that it's in there at all. <laughs> so you're just, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, no, it ends up working out, I think. With the, and it is, the light yeah, touch. It is genuinely good though, I think. Yeah. But you get a lot of that voice acting uh, because of a device that I think they use actually really well here in that by staging it as a tabletop RPG, you get to have the conversation because like Valentine and Fret aren't characters in the game proper. Yeah, I found this really strange. <laughs> it's like really unusual. Yeah. So the way that it is like set up, you have like your initial cutscene, you're in the bunker, mm-hmm. you're the new bee who's being recruited to play this game, and you know, Valentine and Fred are already there, they've already completed a campaign or whatever, and they're gonna start a new one or something. I don't remember. No, the their ship crashed and all you are part of their crew. Oh. And you all wander into Does it not start into... where they're just like in the middle of playing a game? Yes, but it's like the introduction to the game or yeah. some shit. I don't well, know. Well, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you're the new person recruited to play with them. And it's like, it's like they're all, we're all around the table and it's like, they're going to be playing with you. Yeah. And then they just aren't. Yes. <laughs> but they're still like commenting about the adventure as if they are on it with you. Yeah. But they aren't. Yeah. The, the reason given in game is that, well, the reason which is not what I meant to say, but the reason is that Tina doesn't trust them to play because mm. she doesn't like the way that she tr- that they treat the game. Mm. And honestly, I relate to that. <laughs> I know a couple of people that I don't want to be playing D&D with. Yeah. Um, but the uh, in like the in universe thing is essentially all three of you are co-playing the game. You're like being the character and making all the roles, but both Valentine and Fret are putting, uh, input. giving input to you. Yeah, it's strange, but I actually really like the result because you, you get, get that... like the banter of mm-hmm. people around the table. Yeah, yeah. There's an old Telltale game, I think, that was called Poker Night at the Inventory, which was just poker. It was just a poker video game. But the characters that you could play as were, like, the Heavy from Team Fortress 2 and Sam and Max and whatever, some other people. And it was the best poker game that ever existed because it was poker, a game you know, and it just involved a bunch of weird table banter from all of these characters. I think that that works really well when you're playing something that you don't have to think about a lot, which... 
I hate to say it, that's Borderlands, baby. <laughs> you just fucking point a gun at a guy and shoot, and you follow a map marker. So getting the the dialogue constantly was, I think, more immersive than if it was taken more seriously, I guess? Yeah, that reminds me of... um of like Dragon Age you have party banter mm-hmm. and it shined the most I think in the third one because it's an open world game and like while you're going from place to place like hearing the characters talk to each other is like a nice uh, like way to like amuse yourself while you're just like holding up on an analog stick <laughs> and they wrote tons of dialogue because that's like their thing Yeah, uh, it's like the inner party banter so yeah I think it does it, it fulfills like a similar like role here where it's like in a role playing game like a tabletop one you have that like element of like you're all playing together and you'll discuss decisions uh and things like that so like the the want to inject some of that into a game yeah and they use the theming well to sort of actually inject it mm-hmm. yeah um all right i said i would split up the things that you are not going to have a huge amount to talk, you have no notes on. Yes. Uh, and I will, I'm now going to spring into action on the second one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the introduction sequence in which uh, Tina says that she can't trust either of them with a character sheet, uh, she gives you a character sheet and you make a character. Uh, this is what I I live for in these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I really like Borderlands skill tree version of the like RPG progression system. It's not unique in it at all, in any way. It's just you get a big tree. In most of the games, you get three trees to choose from, and you just put points in them. And in those games, the max level was like 60 or 80 or something. And this one is 40. It's a shorter game. Uh, And you get to jump across the trees and sort of build out synergies. The thing that this game does is it lets you choose a class at the beginning. And then you get to choose a second class and mix and match. And I really love this implementation. And it makes me wish that I could play this game 10 times. I don't think I would enjoy it at all, but, like, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I need to have, like, a base class of every one of the classes and then mix it with the other ones and see what the cool synergies are. Um, I think it is uh, great. Mm-hmm. What do you think about it? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I liked the way that my the classes I picked worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I it, it did change the way that I played because I was able to, like... Because I played Clawbringer and Berserker. Uh-huh. Um, and I was able to, like, use my, like, big hammer smash attack and then have, like, a powered-up melee ability. And I liked playing that way. Yeah. And that was able to happen because of the classes I picked. But, like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like... I'm just not, like, a planner like you are. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to find these things as I come to them. But, like, I don't, like... To, I don't just sit there and think about it, like, you know, and, like, want to make ten characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't have that, like, bone. Just call me Lisa Frank, baby, because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a planner. Uh, uh-huh. It... Yeah, I just, yeah, that's just not, like, a like a thing that, like, I go to games for. Like, I can get into that kind of stuff in the right kind of game, but mm-hmm. this one wasn't scratching, or wasn't providing that itch. 
Yeah. And I also think probably being a little bit outside of your comfort zone, just yeah. like odd genre just wanted to for be you. Comfor- comfortable with what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, I also went with a melee build because I mentioned I don't really like the gunplay stuff so much uh, in Borderlands. I feel like it's a little bit too much point and make a health bar go down uh, rather than having it feel really impactful. And the melee, I got to give them credit. I haven't played Borderlands 3, so I don't know if they did anything in that game to improve melee. I think they did, but I don't know that for sure. So (laughs) don't yell at me about it. Um, I think that the improvements they made to melee in this game versus the original couple Borderlands games uh, were really good. Uh, The thing that I liked about Krieg in Borderlands 2 is that he was a melee class and he had a unique melee weapon. He had a big buzzsaw that he swung around. Um, And it was sick. And his class is built around that, or it can be, because once again, three different classes you get to choose. Um, (laughs) But this game being able to spec into having multiple classes that had like a melee focus. Clawbringer has melee stats. Uh, The Berserker does, which is the one that I started with, uh, has a lot of melee Probably the most melee in that class, if I had to guess. Um, and then I ended up specking into... Because I was... I I knew in the, my head, because we were, you were there when I picked my class. Mm. And I was like, ah, oh, Clawburger seems pretty cool. Got a big hammer. And I was like, ah, oh, but Berserker also <laughs> seems pretty cool because he's got a big axe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that I was going to like end up in some way or another doing a melee thing. And ended up going with Berserker as my base class. And was like, when you got to the subclass thing, I was like, I bet he's going to go with the other melee class Yeah, <laughs> I picked Clawbringer because you picked Berserker. I would have also mm-hmm. been between the two of them. And, it, and did end up picking them both yeah. in the end. But I didn't want to start with the same class as you. But yeah, the two that had melee options, the most obvious melee options... <laughs> were the ones that seemed the most appealing to me, which surprised no one. Yes. Uh, I do want to say I didn't know, and I don't think you did either, um, that there was going to be a subclass selection. No, I, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, my When I saw the single tree, I was just like, okay, this is like a either we're going to unlock more trees as the game goes on, or this is just a short Borderlands game, and you really just have to pick between a few things. Mm-hmm. Um and when you got to the point where you chose a subclass, you were like, uh, that one sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I already knew I wanted to play that one. That's true. So you I was like, this one will let me punch stuff. Well, not punch stuff, but hit stuff <laughs> yeah. more. So I, I'll pick it. I had invested lots of time at that point already <laughs> into determining what skills to cherry pick uh, put point here. Ooh, it's a little pricey. Uh, that one's got a 3% extra bonus. Doesn't seem as good as this other thing. Doing lots of that through the whole game. Uh, and then it was like, pick a second class. And I was like, ah, shit. And like got a cup of coffee and like sat down for a while and really looked him over. It was like, what of these do I feel like works the best with what I have going on? So I eventually settled, and it is settling. I, I literally spent probably 15 minutes deciding on a second class uh, on the, uh, I don't even remember his fucking name, the Graveborn? That sounds right. 
it's the one that has the Demi Lich companion. It's probably like Grave Digger or something. Yeah, it's probably it's a silly name. Yeah. I mean, it called me the Bereaver in my mm. stat line because I was, uh, uh, I don't know, a reaver of souls. Right. And also they kept the burr part and made a pun about somebody who's bereaved. I, that was a little weird. Uh, <laughs> either way, uh, and be, but it was I chose it because I had heavy investment into things that increased my maximum health, and the uh, graveborn spends your maximum health to have effects. And I loved the synergies that that created. Originally, I started with my original action skill, just jumping from people to people to kill them. Uh, and then using the other skills in the Graveborn tree to like regain mm -hmm. health and stuff. And just eventually... Super hotting around. I was just super hot and all over the place. <laughs> uh, but eventually swapped over to the Ultra Nuke, whatever it's called, action skill from the Graveborn that like sucks 40 percent of your health out and then amplifies it like it's, it's like 150 percent of the amount that you lost as damage i don't know i was doing like thirty thousand damage per nuke with it uh and the the uh, berserker's capstone ability reduces your cooldown by 20 percent for every person you kill so if i get five people i can just do it again right the fuck then immediately afterward and this is the thought process that I have that you don't. Yeah. It's just not in there. <laughs> no, it's my brain doesn't work like this. Uh, and it's, it's a, we talked a little bit about this on the Prey episode. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you mentioned, uh, we were talking about it a little earlier, but like, I just, if I'm playing a game that like, yeah, like I'm not familiar with, like a game with guns, you know, because I have not played a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, like I, I tend to stick with what I know, and I know I want to like hit things for big damage. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I tend to just like put stuff into the things that are going to do that, not really like think about it too much. Mm. And like I, for me, I, I get into these elements of the game, but like in a different way. It's like I like discovering it as the pre opportunities present themselves. Like, I've never been, like, a person that's going to, like, look at the tree and, like, map out what's going to happen down the road. Like, I just, I cross the bridges when I come to them. Yeah. See, and that's, I think, to me, that's the difference. That is why, like, like I was thinking before we, we did this podcast, like, as I was playing the game, I was like, we didn't, we've never done a Diablo game or anything on the podcast. No, like, I'd like to, though. Yeah, it's something that we definitely will at some point. It's too prolific of a series. And the remasters are coming out, and the fourth one's announced. And... Yeah, and the mobile game had everybody up in arms. Yeah. We're going to wait until all the Diablo hype <laughs> dies down. Yeah. And then we're going to do, like... In true no-clip fashion. Yeah, and, and we'll do, like, Diablo 1. Yeah, when no one cares... <laughs> We'll talk about Diablo. That's when we get into That's how you know we're unbiased. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was thinking about it. I was like, we've never done something like that. And so there isn't like a precedent for how we engage with these things. Mm -hmm. But as you point out, there kind of is. We talked about this a bit on, like you said, in Prey. And I was like hopelessly addicted to Neuromods. Yeah, like Final Fantasy X. Find the fucking <laughs> sphere grid. Yeah. <laughs> these are things that I really engage with and uh it's the thing that i think draws people like me into these games 
I played as much of Border Borderlands 2 I fully intended to like sample, get a taste of what it was like and hope that it jogged my memory. It didn't, by the way, which is a bad sign. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I picked a class and played for a little bit and got a couple of skill points. And I kept being drawn back to play more of the game because I kept thinking about how cool it will be once I get this next skill that I think is going to yeah. really bring it together. You I, know? Ra- I rarely look ahead at what like the skills are mm-hmm. before I have the ability to get them. Yeah, and that's such a key thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about like whether like if you don't like Borderlands, mm-hmm. you know, like as a person and you're like it's so popular, why do people like this and I don't? You're just an Andy. Yeah. You're somebody who isn't excited about the idea of making a little mental spreadsheet mm-hmm. and setting these like long-term goals for a stat spread. Yeah. But I think, which I, I think is reasonable. Yeah, now I still like RPGs a lot though, but I just engage with the same content just in a different way. Mm-hmm. Instead of like on the front end, I like <laughs> am like in the weeds is when I'm making the decisions. Yeah. That just, it's such an alien thing. Yeah. In the same way that it is for you, the way that I think about it. Yeah. It's, ooh, I mean, a little bit of a spoiler for the future of the Noclip podcast. Uh, it's like one of the things that I'm struggling with in Xenoblade 2. Yeah, in certain kinds of games, I get more into this kind of stuff. Like something like we just, we talked about like Disco Elysium. Yes. And like, your abilities are characters. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking all over the board at like which ones I want. Like it depends on the game. Yeah. Like it depends on how much other stuff there is to enjoy. Like how much I'm going to like, or like something like I brought up divinity, I think earlier. Yeah. A minute ago. Yeah. Like that whole game is like about your fucking builds. (laughs) Yeah. And like, there's like, you'll make liberal use of like going back to this mirror to respec because you can't beat an encounter. Like if a game goes all in on that kind of stuff, I can be into it. Uh, but yeah, it's not the sort of thing like I, I'm looking for in a game. Yeah. Let's actually just cap off the, uh, mechanical discussion a bit by extrapolating from that where I am. So this game, I don't think is, is not really about your build. It is a little bit. It wants you to put together something that makes sense and it wants to reward you for finding things that synergize well together. Um, but that's not really, it's not the point of the game. It's not really unique about it. Uh, that's just what skill trees do. And I think they do a good job of setting them up so that you can put two things together and go like, oh, fuck, like, I see this works well with that and these and those. But I think the game is a lot about its loot grind and about its, like, tone, uh, for sure. Like, these are the things the Borderlands sells itself on. I am all about the build. That's my thing. Yeah. I really like the points. All about that build. No trouble. No trouble. Uh, no troubling with the <laughs> loot grind because I basically was done with this game after I hit level 40. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I just bas- I functionally played it again with you. Um, and to me, that's what bums me out about this because... I wanted something to help me continue to customize my character. Or, like, now that you've reached 
the level where you have more control, like you can't use it for anything. Yeah. And it makes the end game of this game feel very boring to me because it's, I'm not doing authored content. I would be doing hour long chaos chamber runs, which is kind of fun. It's a fun time, but it isn't, it's, it will never keep my attention for a long time. Yeah. It's a good use of the mechanics, but it, I feel like having that be all there is, is kind of nothing. It's like if in Final Fantasy X, they put all of the super bosses and stuff that you do all the side quests to fight in the fucking shitty wildlife preserve or whatever it's mm-hmm. called. Uh, where you just have to fight 30 dingoes before you can fight Bahamut. You yeah. know, like, it's it's really, it's just grindy and kind of yeah, boring. Yeah, I compare, my go-to comparisons for this kind of stuff is always the Chalice Dungeons in Bloodborne mm-hmm. and um, Mementos in Persona 5. Yeah. But both of those have narrative content, so yeah. not a ton <laughs> in Bloodborne, but... Kind of skew- significant. It depends on how you slice it. Yeah, it's but. skewed differently. Like, Bloodborne is more... The thing that's appealing about Chalice Dungeons, if you find anything appealing about Chalice Dungeons, which, like, I do, totally fair if you don't. I do, too. Yeah, is, like, the exploration, right? Yeah, like, It's uh, like, ooh, it's new. Or, like, doing them co-op. Like, yeah, I, I, I found, like, our experience actually trying to beat them to be, like, memorable and fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Um, but it's not something you want to do a hundred times. No, I would never do the randomly generated ones. Mm-hmm. I find those enjoyable. Well, as well, I mean, like after doing like the the more story related yeah, yeah, the ones, fixed like ones. I don't want more after that. I want more Bloodborne on this <laughs> podcast, so we need to get away from it, or else I'm just gonna all right, yes, do that. Uh. And Mementos is cool at the beginning of the game and at the end of the game. And in the middle of the game, you forget it exists. It's, like, unbelievable how much of it there is. Yeah. As you're doing it, you're like, how many fucking levels are there going to be to this? <laughs> Turns out a lot. Uh, and like, it's yeah. the actual ending of the game. Yeah, and, like, you lose, like, the thread or you're like, is there actually going to be anything good down here? Like, what are they doing with this? Is there a narrative thread I forgot about? Uh-huh. The uh just kind of doing it. The Chaos Chambers in, in Wonderlands <laughs> has no narrative, really, and no sense of exploration or discovery. No. It's just combat encounters on repeat, getting harder potentially. It's sort of a roguelike kind of situation where the interest comes from continually upping the mechanical challenge. Yeah, and being able to actually make it to the end for the reward. Yeah. But then also, I don't care. I don't think I could ever care enough to get to, like, maximum. I never got to, like, max torment level in any fucking Diablo games either. Because once I finished my build, I didn't care anymore. I wanted to put, <laughs> I wanted to do a new build. Mm. I don't do new game plus runs in Souls games for this reason. I just want that experience again. Yeah. The one of allocating stats and having fun. And not the one of grinding for shit that I don't care about much. A little bit in this game. Uh, (laughs) And so it just kind of bummed me out that it was like a a shorter skill tree. shorter. The end game feels very shaved down and and unimpressive. 
Yeah, it's the kind of thing, like, I, like, for me, it would be nice if there was, like, an actual, like, expansion or something and not just, like, some DLC. Yeah. Like, something to actually use your good character for. Yep. Yeah. You should check out <laughs> Borderlands ah. from 2009. Uh, it's a great game that has actual expansions that raise the level cap mm. so you can actually continue with the, the yeah. skill tree. I might one day. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be on the podcast. Yeah. It'll be in the year 2027. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, look out for that. Yeah, keep an eye <laughs> on it. Uh, what do you got on your notes there? Uh, so, I wanted to talk about the the some more presentation stuff. Uh, and I, I wanted to bring up the fact that like a lot of the side quests are just based on fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I found to be weird because, like, you start out the game and it's, like, the quest with in Brighthoof or whatever to, like, take back the town from the skeleton army or whatever's <laughs> happening. Yeah, classic. Um, and that's not based on fairy tales as far as I noticed. Uh, and then you get to the second area, which is, like, the mushroom forest, and it is... You know, like what? Like, like they came across like the first one that th- was like based on the Smurfs. Yep, which I actually thought was like pretty amusing because I never would have thought that anyone, you know, like is, the Smurfs <laughs> is one of those like things you forget exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just like they're called and they're called the Murphs, and I didn't peg it right away. So then when like the blue ones show up, I'm like, oh. Oh, and then there's, like, Gargamel and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is kind of funny, like, I guess. Like, I wasn't expecting this at all. <laughs> uh, but then it continues. There's, like, a King Arthur one, like, the Sword in the Stone or whatever with what's-his-name, Claptrap or whatever the robot's name is. Yeah. I should want to ask um, about Oh, that. we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, okay, is this this area's thing? Like, the Enchanted Forest is, like, the fairy tale area? Mm-hmm. No. It's just the rest of the game is like that. I found that to be, like, just kind of weird. Yeah. Because, um, like, sometimes it's it's amusing or, you know, kind of, like, funny. But most of the time it's just like, okay, okay I get it. It's, uh, it's he's the ditcher instead of the witcher. <laughs> and, like, that's the whole joke. He's nothing uh-huh. like Geralt. And his name is Garrett of Trivia. Yeah, he's Garrett of Trivia. He, he and the quest doesn't relate to the Witcher at all, mm-hmm. nor is it he anything like Geralt or anything. It's just they called him that. Yep, that's the joke. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a problem with the writing in Borderlands uh, since time immemorial. Uh, I actually noted one quest that I did in Borderlands 2, which means pretty early on in the game, like the first couple areas, that when you finish the quest, the like the end card that congratulates you for getting quests and shows you how much gold and experience you get just says, ooh, references, because the whole thing was a reference to some other shit, and I literally don't remember because every fucking thing is a reference. We make reference. Everyone, I say we, I mean everyone on the planet Mm -hmm. makes a reference on occasion or often. It's a big nerd culture thing. Yeah. Uh, And is like, and then you get the laugh of recognition. This is the problem with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands Mm -hmm. because it is, they, they will go out of their way to take a joke that could work 
and make it less funny by making the punchline a reference to something else. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it even just like I don't know. It's like they go for this recognition of that, like, oh, you and I, me, game developer, you, person buying the game, are familiar with this cultural thing, and that's what brings us together. It's like that thing, that inexplicable phenomenon that you can say something to your friend and they will think it is funny, but you could never write it down and just tell it to somebody else. Yeah, it's a kind of humor that works in real life. Yeah. But it doesn't count as a joke. (laughs) If you're, like, actually trying to write a joke, it's not really a joke. Right. It's a reference. It's a reference. Or it is, like... They cannot substitute. Yeah. It's, like, something that would be funny if somebody came up with it right on the spot, Mm -hmm. but isn't funny because you know somebody wrote it on a piece of paper. a bunch of money. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And put it ahead and then called in a professional voice actor to deliver the line. I I don't want to make a bunch of enemies or anything, but Mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons I don't think Talladega Nights is funny at all. I feel like it's the kind of humor that would be, like, funny on YouTube, or, like, if you knew somebody who acted like Mm -hmm. those people, it, it would be funny. But when it's, like, written dialogue that actors deliver and people got paid a bunch of money to put on a screen, it's just not funny at all. Uh, Well, we are, as is documented, the bad boys of podcasting. Uh And I am willing to double down on that and say that if the people, if we make enemies with people who really like Talladega Nights... Those aren't people I wanted I just, to be friends with I, in the first place. Surprisingly <laughs> large amount of people like love that movie. I'm sure it's true. Yeah. But anyway, just so I just wanted to say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know if you'd met somebody like Will Ferrell's character in that in real life, you mm. wouldn't be like, remember that guy? And you would have a, gr- a great laugh about it. Uh-huh. But in a movie, it doesn't work. Yeah. But then also if Will Ferrell's character from Talladega Nights just made loads of references to shit. <laughs> Like Sweet Baby Jesus or whatever. The beer? What? No. <laughs> There's like a whole scene. I thought you would get the reference. I've never seen Me neither, but I know oh. this scene where okay. it's like he's praying and he's like specifically likes to pray to baby Jesus because it's his favorite version of Jesus. Oh, okay. It's like a joke. Uh, but anyway. Hearing you say it like is funny. Mm-hmm. If I saw it on the screen and saw Will Ferrell, a multimillionaire, deliver the line, I probably wouldn't find it very funny. I get your point. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell it's like one in the morning? No. Um, but anyway. Uh... Can you tell I've been drinking? <laughs> it also that. Uh, I also wanted. To, I also think that the side quests are well implemented. I don't have a ton to say about it. Um other than, like, I like that, like, you don't have to go through a quest log. Like, you can just toggle through them with the D-pad. That's very convenient. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to bring up the overworld. I did, too, actually. Um, I, this is another one of those things where, like, one moment I think it's funny and another moment I think it's dumb. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that your character is just, like, a big bobblehead sneak king-like <laughs> looking guy. 
on the overworld and it's supposed to be a joke about how like in final fantasy games when you were on the world map like your character had like was huge i didn't get on that the map joke. yeah it's like it's like a old jrpg joke so you wouldn't <laughs> um but yeah like your character's always huge on the world map and like the scale is all like weird yeah like especially it's like it stands out a lot in like final fantasy 7 you had like the big polygon cloud <laughs> running around the map like over the mountains and shit um, so yeah, that's supposed to be a joke about that, but, um, I don't, I, I feel like I kind of like it. Like, like, you know, it's like there's Cheetos and teeth and stuff on the board, which is, is not always like that funny or whatever, but like, I don't know. I think it's, it does have charm and I do think like the overall map works. Yeah. Uh, so I said I wanted to talk about the overworld and I basically wanted to approach it in the opposite direction of you, which... I guess makes sense given everything else that we've said. Yes. Um, I'm realizing, by the way, that Tiny Tina's Wonderland is actually the perfect game, best game ever made, because it somehow predicted this very conversation. Uh. Because the characters of Valentine and Fret, the reason they aren't allowed to have fun and play the game is because one of them is way too head in the clouds, focused on the big picture, uh, emotional stuff, and the other person is like a rules lawyering stats obsessed piece of shit <laughs> uh and so they basically we've been playing we these characters yeah. this whole time and i'm like i really loved wanda sykes in this role is me <laughs> i'm wanda uh, sykes i have to be andy samberg uh, your name is already andy <laughs> yeah it's halfway to being the same person exactly as is always said anyway i hate the overworld but i agree with you in it's because you can't run it is that. That's why you hate it. It's so slow. <laughs> but I agree with what you say. Because I think the presentation is really nice. Yeah, it felt kind of refreshing that it wasn't like an open world thing yeah. to me. Like, I think like breaking up with a map, like once again, you have the excuse because of the whole like mm. uh, fantasy RPG thing. Um, might have just been a coincidence. Maybe they would have done it that way anyway to save money. I don't know. But I... I it, Every game's a fucking open world game now, and it was kind of nice that this used an overworld map. Yeah. I, I like that it had an overworld map, and I like the presentation of it, and I like walking around with the uh, the dumb character models. Uh, I guess my biggest issue is that I, I just felt like most of the time it had these little conveniences, and then just massive inconveniences <laughs> for no reason. Mm. Like... I understand, like, you were able to fast travel in this game inside of areas, and you can fast travel from any area to the overworld or to the hub town, Brighthoof. But you can't fast travel from the overworld or Brighthoof or any other location to a specific location within another map. Mm -hmm. So you always have to traverse the overworld to get there. And. When you're on the overworld, like, sometimes you can punch a box and it makes a bunch of money come out and it all jumps to you in, like, a satisfying kind of way. And then sometimes you open a chest and there's, like, a weird delay before the gold will jump to you. So I mostly just would just skip those chests. Yeah. Uh, which isn't, like, a huge loss, but it's, like, if the coins in Mario sometimes just didn't work and you had to run over them again... It would immediately ruin coins. <laughs> you would be like, fuck coins. I hate collecting them. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But it's only on the overworld map, though. It is only on the overworld. But you spend so much fucking time there. Yeah. It's just, I think you spend too much time on the overworld map, and there isn't enough unique about it to warrant it. Yeah. I, for me, like I found it to be small enough that it never really bothered me. And I also, like, anytime I was, like, I like that there was, like, actual exploration to it, whereas, like, it always felt like I could find a die or something there. So, like, that was enough for me, personally. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm definitely known for being okay with, like, walking places in games <laughs> and, and not warping. Mm-hmm. But um, you didn't even take the elevator in uh, Monster Hunter World. That's true. I like the chain. Run up the, yes, stairs. With the stairs. Yeah. I think it's because it took me so long to notice it. Like I was just mm. so in the habit of going up those stairs. I guess that makes sense. Um, but I also another thing was the the tall grass. There would be random encounters in the tall grass. It's just another obvious RPG reference, which I thought was fun. Yeah. Um. What else? Did I? I think I had like one more thing I wanted to mention. Was it that the actually, yeah? So, I wanted to mention this. I had two things I wanted to mention to mm-hmm. you, sure. So, have your find your thing. Uh, it's just, I think, uh, it's a more specific thing, so I can probably just say it and then you can ask me those things. Okay, um, I felt like they really buried the lead with the visuals in, in this game. Um, like I, you open up with that bright hoof quest, and it felt like it was the area had that had the most just like walls that were like a black rectangle. <laughs> And things like that. Like, you you have that in this game. Like, enemies will spawn out of, like, black door frames. And, like, that's fine. But, like, that first area felt like it had the most, like, area that felt like it just had, like, a chunk cut off of it or something. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, and that's, like, the first thing that you do. So it makes a weird first impression. And then I think, like, the coolest areas are, like, one's the optional beanstalk area. Mm. And the other one is, like, the lagoon pirate wonderland. And those are, like, very late game. So I just, I don't know, I feel like it kind of, uh, I don't know, could like bring more people in, draw more people in, but I think like kind of spreading that polish around a little or something, or br- putting a cooler area earlier or something. Yeah, especially bringing it up front, you know? Like... Yeah, like the pirate area could have been like the second area or something. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I want like up front, like first fucking thing. Sure, yeah. Because yeah. I agree with you. Like the one of the first things that I did in this game was run into a black square and go, "Are you kidding me? Like, what year is it? Like, why is this what we're doing right now?" Mm-hmm. But you don't really see that like as nearly as much as you later go, in the yeah. game, yeah. Because they're not like intentionally, they're not putting you around a bunch of like habited, habitated buildings. Yeah, I think it's because that's like a specific like event sequence. Like it, this, like that all goes away <laughs> after you like beat that part of the story. So yeah, it's just really strange um, and odd. I wanted to ask two things. One, I missed my golden opportunity for, so I'll do it second. Uh-huh. Um, how was there a stat or something in the clobberinger tree that specifically dealt with the ground slam ability? Um, I think so. I'm trying to remember because it's definitely it's like one of your like finisher abilities or whatever up at the top. And then I, I, there might have been one that, like, added some kind of extra damage to it. To, like, I, the basic ground slam. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember, though. Because the reason I'm asking Because if there was, it was early, and I just don't remember what it was. Yeah. I don't remember the game telling me that the move existed, mm. and I never did it. 
I saw you do it unprompted once and was like... Like the jump up and slam down. Yeah, and I was like, how did you know about that? Because I remember there was a side quest that requires you to do yeah, it. Yeah, to the mushroom. Yeah. yeah. And I had to Google it because I was like, what the nah. fuck does this mean? And I like looked it up. It was like, press the circle button, you dumb fuck. No, no <laughs> so I also dumb. had to look it up. Okay. Because I kept trying to just... Because that was like... I think it was a coincidence because my special ability is the ground pound move. So I kept trying to hit click it, just hit the R1 button yeah. as I was falling down to, to hit the mushroom and it wouldn't work. Right. Uh, so the note that I took now that I have this information, uh-huh. uh, because I had this written down and then I saw you do it and it made me question it. Mm-hmm. But I think I can comfortably say now that the ground slam move mm-hmm. is the Burt slide of Borderlands. And they just don't tutorialize it. Don't tutorialize it. It's useless at every stage of the game, except for when they specifically force you to use it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, it's just, it's like they were like, hey, remember that we put this in the game? And you're like, I don't. Do a Burt slide down the whole fucking pier. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what that is or how to do it. What do you mean hold L2? That's not a thing I do in this game. Uh, and this, and then j- jump and ground slide. I literally jumped at that mushroom like many times oh, yeah. trying to figure out what the hell I was supposed to do until I Googled it. Um, so, yeah, really dumb mechanic that didn't need to be there. Yeah, like, I don't know. I feel like it's something that, like, because that's in, like, the second area you get that quest. Like, maybe if they had introduced it at the beginning, mm-hmm. I would have remembered it was a thing and then maybe used it. Yeah. Um, and then my second thing was, <laughs> was this the first time, because I know that you're broadly aware of Borderlands as a franchise. Yeah. Were you aware that Claptrap, the little robot, was, like, the series mascot? No. I think I'd seen him before, but, like, I didn't know that he was, like, a big thing. Okay. Now, I didn't know that about, like, any of the characters. Like, I didn't know Tiny Tina was a thing. Right. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Tiny Tina's in this game. Um, I never remember the, the Berserker from Borderlands 1 yeah, is in this game. Punch the fairy punch mother. The fairy punch father. Yeah. yeah. Father, yeah. To me, it's funny to see somebody who has never played Borderlands look at Claptrap in this game. Mm-hmm. Like, I was trying to put myself in those shoes when I saw Claptrap in this game as, like, a wooden robot doing a quest about smithing, because his character is B-annoying. That's what they went with. Mm-hmm. And I would say they succeed mostly, and the joke is fine in Borderlands, and it is a little worse in Borderlands 2, mm-hmm. and then it then he's a playable character in the pre-sequel. <laughs> And I bet that's why I stopped playing. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Because I... It's a joke that worked once and got very old. And seeing fucking Claptrek drug back out of the fucking garbage can and propped up in this game to be the mascot again was almost, like, disheartening. I was like... I remember when I got to that quest, I was like, Andy's gonna hate this fucking game. <laughs> like... <laughs> But I think it's me, right? Like, mm. I hate Claptrap now. After, like, I went through the full cycle of loving Claptrap, liking Claptrap, to hating Claptrap. And now I, like, see him and go, I regret suggesting the game. 
you probably did not have that strong of a feeling about it. No, like I didn't like him. Um, I didn't hate him though. Mm. Like, because I feel like, like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Is like the joke is that like he he's annoying and he never shuts up. Yep. Um, and he ta- yeah he talks forever, and like I it just I was like I see what they're doing. And I just think they missed the mark. Like I just don't find it funny. Um, and I think if they would have done it once, I would write it off as like, uh, okay, that's fine. You know, it was like an amusing thing they tried, but he, they keep bringing him back. Like the fact that he has like, what, like three major quests yeah. where you have to deal with him. It's just, At minimum. it's just too much. Yeah. He shows up way too often and the gag is always the same. Like it never evolves. Yeah. Like give him a major quest and then just put him in the hub town and you can go up and talk to him if you want. Yep. Which is kind of what they did in Borderlands 2, as far as I remember, and in the first six hours of the game, um, is like he is your introduction to the game, and then he sits around the hub town, and you can talk to him if you want. Um, so yeah, this is a lot. This is too much time already spent on Claptrap. Mm-hmm. I don't like him, uh, and I'm glad that you were not immediately turned off by it. No, uh, but I can imagine. It having a pretty negative effect on some people because yeah. I can't. Just, yeah, mm. I can't say that I found him like endearing at all. So, <laughs> um, although it is funny that he's made of wood. Yes, that is a good gag. I'll give him that. Yeah. Do we finally have Fatebringer thoughts? Good one. It's been a while. It's it was. I did it wrong. Let me actually do that again because that's not what they call him. <laughs> Fate Maker. Yeah. That's what it is. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I, I didn't either until a minute ago. Uh, so, I guess my, my Fate Maker thoughts mm-hmm. are, um, yeah, this was a this was a, a interesting experience for me. I don't know what word to use. Because, um, I, I, like I said, I have never played any of the Borderlands games. And, um, yeah, I, I, I found this to be fun. I mean, like, the tone was all over the place. Like, it's hard to, like, it's just a cocktail of just a whole bunch of different stuff. So it's kind of hard to, like, know how to feel about it. Um, but I, I it does feel like it's it's made, it has a certain personality. Or, or, like, it feels like the people, like, making it are really into it. Like, it does have, like, a charm that I, it does work for me. A fair amount of the time, but like a lot of it is also bad. Uh, you know, like it's 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 hot, it's cold, it's yes, it's no, it's in, it's out, it's up, it's down. Uh huh. Um, and uh, yeah, but like I feel like it's like kind of like a video game equivalent of like junk food. Uh, like it doesn't have a ton of substance. Like I I compared it to Time Splitters a few times. It feels a lot like that, and I kind of lamented that we don't get games like that anymore. Mm-hmm. And like this was like fun, especially I think the saving grace is the co-op for me. Like, I feel like I wouldn't like this game. I don't know if I want to say half as much. That seems like a little too extreme. But like I would have liked it significantly less if we didn't play it together yeah. for the most part. Uh, and it has couch co-op. I looked it up, which is an even bigger, uh, I think, bonus because yeah. no games ever do that anymore. Um. But yeah, like it's it's a. Uh, I feel like if I was like into shooters more, I probably it probably also would have been more fun. Um, it just, yeah, it, it made a bad first impression. I thought I thought like it, yeah, it doesn't put its best foot forward, um, which I think could lead to a, like you know a lot of people being off put by it. 
Um, but like overall, it's fun. Uh, I had a good time. Uh, there was just like a, just a lot of weird stuff. It's hard to like sum up your thoughts. It's like for every good thing, there's also like another weird thing or a bad thing about it too. Mm. Um, so I guess I'll just say it is like a it is a mixed bag, and uh, if if you'd like. To, to have a fun co-op like a new co-op game to play with somebody though like this is a good time um and yeah i don't know i so i i guess i might recommend it to like the certain kind of person but like uh yeah like i like to see games like this get made but then also feel like conflicted about them when they come out so yeah it's hard to know what to say so i guess i'll just stop talking yeah I am excited to edit this episode because I <laughs> I feel like if you just like and you can try it right now you're at the end of the episode what's what do you have to lose uh just like click in the if you're watching on something that has a a, a tracking bar just click around at random spots and try and determine if we like this game or dislike it based on what we're saying uh, who knows it's really hard to tell because I, <laughs> In the end, if you really look at it, I think I obviously enjoyed my time with the game. I liked playing it because I like the base mechanical uh, like progress of the game. I like a first-person shooter, but that's honestly even secondary to the sort of like Borderlands-centric gameplay of the loot collecting and the uh like build choices that you make is something that kept me coming back to the game even when I wasn't playing with somebody else. I basically played through this game entirely solo and then played through it a second time with Andy uh because I had to keep going back. I was like I know I'm only however long away from the next level where I can pick another thing and I love that kind of thing. Um and the tone, we talked a lot about it. It's hard to say. It's something that I both really, really dislike and also has little moments that I do like. Uh, like casting Wanda Sykes in that role I thought was super good. Uh, but so many of the jokes were just painfully unfunny to me or felt like they were pandering to an audience that I don't know exists anymore. Like, I think it feels very old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it almost is, like, beholden to this, like, era in which the original Borderlands games became popular. So, I like the game. I think maybe the problem is just this is a AAA game that came out in 2022 that is, like, a popular game that people play. It's hard to to put your finger on what it is that you like and dislike about it because they just contain so much. We don't talk about games like this very often. And when we do, it's always something that intrigues us because it seems like it has a focus. This doesn't. It is, its focus is be like Borderlands and do everything that we can to keep people entertained while being Borderlands. And I think it succeeds in a lowest common denominator kind of way, which isn't always a bad thing. So I give it a 11 out of 10 finest game of all time. Thank you. Kids. Five bags of Doritos (laughs) out of five. 
thank you for listening to No Clip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Night in the Woods? A Night in the Woods? I think it's just Night in the Woods. Night in the Woods. Don't remember if there is a uh, oh, any other words in that title. Uh, which... Uh, I feel like going back to our roots on yeah, this one. Going back to our wheelhouse, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's a it's a narrative uh, adventure game. I guess you could call it. Uh, I, I never feel okay saying adventure game anymore because it's become meaningless to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, and it's like a it's a character focused kind of uh, introspective, kind of sad, sentimental kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so check back in for that. Until that time, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on the rapidly approaching relevance again, splattershot.pro. Uh, there you can find links to our Twitter, our Discord, the YouTube channel, which contains all of our old episodes, including those on... Uh, I don't know why Doom 2016 was the first. That was like a five-year-old episode at this point. Yeah, Time Splitters. The Time Splitters. Uh, we just recently talked about great episode. Way mm-hmm. better than that old Doom episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Halo, which we did with yeah. JJ on a post-JJ's departure. Uh, so if you're feeling nostalgic for some old no clip, that's a great one to listen to. I mean, very different, but I mean, we talked about Prey. We did talk about Prey. Um, the, which a also shooter includes... with RPG elements. <laughs> we go listen to the Persona Five episode and find out that me and JJ spent twenty minutes every time we went to the Velvet Room, and Andy yeah. did not. Maybe my favorite episode of the podcast. Uh, ooh, ooh. Peek behind the curtain, Final Fantasy Ten. Oh yeah, that's good a episode. Really good one. Also talking about how Chad loves stats. I love. And I don't so much. <laughs> uh, fucking loot that like button. Shoot Done. that Got subscribe button and uh, re- make a request on the board at that ringing bell. There's a lot of words there that didn't work out. I should have stopped after the first one. Mm-hmm. Bloodborne, Bloodborne, Elden, Elden, oh, yeah, Elden, 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 Elden